The scripture is from Jonah chapter 2. We are continuing in this series from the book of Jonah, and it is going to be on the screen behind me as a matter of convenience. And so verse 1 begins with these words, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And verse 10 says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And in between those two verses is this prayer of Jonah that we're going to look at this morning. But before we do, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence, which transcends time and space and technology. And we pray that you would be with us right here, right now. Bless everything that we read, see, hear, all that is proclaimed, that it might pierce our hearts and move us to respond. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Church, say that with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, we continue in a series in the book of Jonah, from the book of Jonah. Jonah, who was called by God to go to the great city of Nineveh. For any number of reasons, Jonah ran in the opposite direction after God called him. And it could have been that Jonah despised the Ninevites for their love of self or their worship of pagan gods. Or maybe it was the fact that Jonah, one who spoke to the people of God on behalf of God, was a little bitter about being called by God to go and prophesy to a people that were not gods. Doesn't matter. God's call demands a response. And Jonah responded. God invited Jonah to go to Nineveh to join him in what he was doing, bringing life to the Ninevites. And Jonah ran in the opposite direction. Jonah thought God was trying to ruin his life. And so his response had not only an effect on him, but even on those around him. Jonah had made a mess of everything. You and I, church, we are called by God right where you're planted. Whether it's your vocation or a particular assignment, the choice is always in front of us, Nineveh or Tarshish. And this morning we pick up right where we left off. If you'll recall, Jonah and the sailors were in the midst of the perfect storm, reminiscent of a white squall, has all the makings of a great movie. I can hear the music in the background. Wind is blowing, rain is falling, thunder and lightning there, 20-foot seas, and the sailors are vehemently trying to keep the ship afloat. They are deathly afraid, and their means to safety was unconventional to say the least. They picked Jonah up, and they hurled him into the sea. And then these sailors feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they lifted up and made vows to God Almighty. God, who is worthy of our fear, worthy of all the respect and honor we owe him. God is worthy of our sacrifice, worthy of every vow we make. He's worthy because his justice is not without mercy. When these men were at sea, they were stuck in their ways and lost in their sin. They'd cried out to their gods to no avail. But through the process of Jonah's plight, these sailors experienced salvation. God's response to these Gentile men was more than keeping their heads above water. 
He revealed himself to them and they pledged their lives right back. Fast forward to Matthew 2 for just one second. Our God and King is nothing like King Herod who sought to kill the newborn king, baby Jesus, by killing all male children who were age two and younger. In Jonah, God could have wiped all of the men out on that boat, including Jonah, but he didn't. God values life. He did not slay all to slay one. He saved all to save one. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Now, most of us are familiar with this story of Jonah, likely from growing up, media, vacation Bible school. In my mind, this story turns to animation, and I picture Geppetto and Pinocchio in the belly of a whale. But the story of Jonah in the belly of a great fish, nowhere does it mention a whale. This is not a children's story, not just a children's story, but a prophetic story of great contrast and great extremes. It reveals the heart of God for the people of God, and maybe even more importantly, for the whole world. So I wonder what really happened. How long was Jonah in the water before that great fish swallowed him up? Was he even ever close to drowning? Did he even lose consciousness? How much room was there inside the belly of that fish the Lord had appointed, this great fish? God singled one out over all of the other fish in the sea. I'm guessing because that one was big enough. For most skeptics of the Bible, it all begins, their skepticism begins with this story of Jonah in the belly of a fish. Really? Could God have, could someone have lived in a fish for three days and three nights? But if God can make a donkey talk and close the mouths of lions, he can open up the mouth of a great fish and keep a man alive for three days. And we have Jonah in the belly of this great fish, literally his bowels, digestive organs. Want to get away? It's not exactly the vacation that I would have ever signed up for. When Jonah boarded that cruise ship out of Joppa, I bet he never envisioned this luxurious ocean liner. In fact, when Jonah started to run as far and as fast from God as he possibly could, I doubt Jonah had expected God to assist him along the way at all by providing the belly of a great fish where Jonah had three days and three nights. And in chapter two, it begins with this sentence. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of that fish. Despite all that Jonah had done, all that he'd been through, the writer wants us to know that Jonah felt secure enough in his relationship with God to pray. When Jonah had hit the bottom, he had the presence of mind to call out to his God. There must have been some element of hope a level of trust inside of this man, a trust for God Almighty. And his prayer is almost all of chapter two, verses two through nine. In modern times, Jonah's prayer is read as a psalm of gratitude and praise 
on the afternoon of Yom Kippur, the holiest of Jewish holy days, the Day of Atonement. This year, that day is October 5th, 2022. This prayer is read to a people who are exhausted at life, in particular, worn out from a long day of fasting, prayer, and confessing sins. And at the end of this one holy day, these Jewish people, even modern times, feel closer to God than they do all year. And so let me ask you to consider, as we enter into this prayer, what's your proximity to God, your nearness to God? What's your circumstance that may be weighing you down? And if there isn't one, you know there has been or there will be one. Where is God in this for you? I want us to explore this prayer with all of this in mind. And as we look at this prayer, we're gonna break it up into four movements. It begins in verse two, where Jonah sets the context for this whole prayer. This first movement provides a synopsis of answered prayer, and it reaffirms the fruit of Jonah's security and his hope in God. Jonah called out to God from a very dark and deep place and God heard, God responded. If you feel distressed, like you are stuck or you've run too far from God's presence, you've got to know that God is approachable. No matter where we are or what it is we've done, what it is we're going through, we can always call out to God who can handle all of our anger, all of our frustration. He'll meet us right in the midst of our fear and dismay. God is faithful. Despite the messes that we make of our own lives, God is constant and consistent. The second movement is found in verses three through six and is a summation of personal crisis. It's interesting to me that Jonah prays, you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas. Who hurled Jonah into the depths, into the very heart of the seas? According to verse three, God did. But go back up to chapter one, verse 15. It says, the sailors did. Jonah's inference suggests that at the very least, God is behind the action of the sailors. And at the very most, and maybe even the best, God is, is present in the midst of Jonah's circumstances. So let me ask, why was the perfect storm even swirling around the boat that Jonah was on to begin with? And even more to the point, why was Jonah on the boat? Sometimes in the midst of our storms, our distress, we want to blame God for every bit of it. But the million-dollar question is, to what extent was God involved in bringing Jonah to this very painful place? Was God responsible? Or was it the result of Jonah's own disobedience? God is not the root cause of Jonah's isolation, nor was God ever completely out of control. And here's the really good news. Jonah did not fall outside of the bounds of God's beautiful redemptive story, this story that God is writing. To be clear, God provided Jonah a way of escape despite his own disobedience. And Jonah has this epiphany where he acknowledged God's presence in and with him. 
which leads us to the third movement of divine rescue that's found in verses six through eight. God doesn't tolerate sin or disobedience. Here on earth, that means there are consequences to our actions. These consequences sometimes lead to confusion, sometimes to misery, and every time it means our alignment from God is askewed. These earthly consequences are dim reflections of eternal consequences. But there is a solution which involves the realization of our need for a savior, which leads to repentance, a change of heart, and a realignment with God. For Jonah, I think the turning point was in verse seven. It may have been verse four, may have even been in chapter one when he said, it's my fault, throw me in. But here in verse seven, we see Jonah's at the end of his rope. He'd hit rock bottom when he finally realized his need and cried out to God, who's completely different than we are. His ways are not our ways. He saves those who are unworthy. God disciplines those he loves. God gives life. He spares life. God is in control even when our lives are spiraling out of control, especially when they are. And he can be found. God will be found by those who seek him, by those who earnestly look for him. And Jonah did. We see the fourth and final movement of this prayer in verses eight and nine a vow of praise. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake God's love and faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with heart of song and gratefulness. Salvation belongs to you, O Lord, and I will thus fulfill all my vows. Jonah's idol was autonomy. His own freedom his sheer will and self-determination. Jonah wanted to be like God and call his own shots because he thought that would bring him life. And actually, it very nearly cost him his life. In exercising his own free will, Jonah was no different than the people of Nineveh that God would invite to repent. We may not worship the gods of idols of the ancient Near East, but we have our things, whether success or wealth or image, our own habits or hurts and hangups. But God is the only thing that truly satisfies. He does not anesthetize our pain. He fills it with his presence. He doesn't merely forgive us of our sin and shame, but offers us freedom and freedom in Jesus' name, who alone is the true source of steadfast love, and he is worthy of our sacrifice and praise. Salvation belongs to Christ and is found in no other. Jonah knew God. He had experienced God's character. He was experiencing the Lord's salvation repeatedly, maybe even unknowingly. God spared Jonah's life the second he fled for Tarshish. God kept the boat afloat, he provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, pride and all, and he had that fish vomit Jonah onto dry land. Talk about salvation. Jonah could have come out the other end, but he did not. Church, if mercy is not getting what you do deserve, 
and grace is getting what you don't deserve, by God's grace, Jonah received mercy. He should have died. Talk about salvation. There from within the belly of that fish, Jonah experienced God's mercy over and against his wrath. God did not slay all to slay one. He saved all to save one. Jonah received God's mercy repeatedly. Because of Jonah, God's mercy was shown to the sailors. Jonah received God's mercy and it would be extended to the Ninevites because God's mercy demands a response. All of us are on a journey. All of us have run from God at some point in our lives. You might be running right now, and chances are you felt isolated from God before. The good news about Jonah, he is modeling for us what it looks like to wrestle with God and to recognize that God does not hate you. He doesn't want to ruin your life. He hasn't abandoned you. In fact, he may be operating within the circumstances of our own creation, but he is oh so near. God is closer than you think. So if you feel like you're confined in the belly of this great fish, remember God's presence. What is the circumstance that you're going through? that has you feeling isolated, alone, scared, confused, ashamed. Take comfort in God's protection from the storm. If there's any anger or confusion, use the time in isolation to wrestle with God, to give that to him, to express all of your emotion to God. And while you pray, in the pattern of this prayer, ask God for wisdom. Ask God to show you what he's doing, what he's pruning. Ask God to show you the truth of your circumstance. And ask God to produce the fruit of repentance, the fruit of obedience in your life. And here's the really great prayer. It's not about you. It's about all of us together. So as we pray into this message, as we draw our time to a close, I want to pray for our core community. Will you join me? Lord God Almighty, we do turn to you for such a time as this, and we pray that you would grant us wisdom. We pray that you would show us what you are pruning, that you would show us the truth of our circumstance. And Lord, lead us to a beautiful expression of mercy, of salvation that does not terminate on us, but is for all people everywhere. Wake us up and do a work. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.